Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, we look at the tragic developments in Prague as a mass shooting in the capital has racked up what the police are describing as an unspecified amount of deaths. Also, how the transport office has embarrassed itself granting northern funding for London potholes. Plus, the overly complex EU migration deal the nation states think won't work. And the Home Office's stealth climb down on reducing immigration. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It's the last show before Christmas, so we've got a few festive surprises for you between now and 11 o'clock. We'll be digging into the story that Sir Keir Starmer helped hate preacher Abu Qatada fight deportation from this country when he was one of Britain's top human rights lawyers. Of course, he says it's all a desperate Tory smear and that he had to represent people he didn't agree with. Oh, really? Is that right, Sir Keir? Like you supported Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister and then dumped him, claiming you were never really friends. The long-running case cost £1.7 million pounds to the taxpayer and it was a Labour Home Secretary that wanted the Islamic extremists deported anyway. Meanwhile, life doesn't get any easier for Rishi Sunak. He's facing yet another Tory rebellion over a net zero tax he wants to impose on boilermakers to persuade them to move to heat pumps instead. No one wants them. Backbenchers know it's a vote loser and they're amassing their forces to get the boiler tax reversed. Surely he must realise that Britain isn't ready, isn't interested and isn't going to pay for anyone's green revolution. We've got a brilliant cast of characters to run the line over all the big political stories tonight. Madeleine Grant, Megan Gittos and Alex Grant are all here. Over in the United States, Donald Trump is still frightening the horses as his poll ratings shoot even higher. This is more states threaten to ban him from the election process. I mean, really? We'll check in with Sebastian Gorka, uh, his former advisor in Washington, D.C. Also, there's been a school shutdown because of a row between teachers and pro-Palestine parents and pupils. We'll get the latest news from that horrific mass shooting in Prague as well. Could be a press conference coming up. And we'll tell you just how bad the weekend traffic is going to be. Apparently, Storm Pia has been wreaking havoc with planes, trains and automobiles. But have no fear, we'll get you home for Christmas. And we'll have a few cocktail ideas for you too with the return of my favourite drinking advisor, Helena Nicklin. Uh, if it's all too much excitement for you, have no fear. We'll also bring you tomorrow's news tonight with the front pages of the papers, plus much else besides. And, of course, we want to hear from you because your opinions matter to us. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. And don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones as well. That number 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost you the national rate. First up, though, what the Telegraph has dug up on Keir Starmer. Apparently, back in 2006, the Labour leader used a technical point of law to acquit the notorious Islamist branded as Osama bin Laden's ambassador in Europe. Join me, the Telegraph columnist Madeleine Grant, political commentator Alice Grant, and communications director for the Henry Jackson Society, Megan Gittos. Very good evening to all of you. And I'm going to say Merry Christmas, even though it's not quite Christmas, because I think you can now. Absolutely. This is going to be like the last <laughs> knockings of, of the week before we go into the weekend. Um, Madeline, let's start with you, because the Telegraph story. Keir Starmer and uh, Abu Qatada, he says he's a human rights lawyer. He had to represent some people that he didn't really agree with. But he did represent quite an, an interesting array of people he didn't agree with, didn't he? Yeah. And, you know, the cab rank rule is a, is a long-established tradition. Yeah. And, you know, the, te the Telegraph is simply reporting on this stuff. Yeah. Keir Starmer often talks about his time as director of public prosecutions. You may have heard this he a few does. times in the chamber. Um, you know, it's right that this man, if, if he 
is indeed to become our prime minister next year, as seems highly likely mm. now. It's right to scrutinise his past and, and, you know, go through all of his career. Sure. I think so. And here we're looking at pictures of him out in Estonia today. I don't know why, whenever anybody thinks they're going to be close to power, they start putting on, like, military hardware. <laughs> yeah, not He's wearing, like, a NATO jacket. It just, it, it very strongly reminds me of his visit to, to Macron and to Trudeau when he yeah. went on this little presidential foreign trip. Mm. And I just really wonder if he really truly has Britain's interests at heart. Yeah. And that's my concern, I think. But well, he didn't always yeah. used to be a great befriender of NATO, did he? I mean, when in the days of Jeremy Corbyn, who he used to call his friend and who he mm. said was a great man and who should be prime minister of this country, you know, he was very anti-NATO, it seems to me. Yeah, of course. Kick Starmer's not to be trusted, I don't think. No. Um, but I especially worry specifically for the Brexit issue because he's always been at the forefront mm. of this campaign for a second referendum. Yeah. And as the British people, we mustn't forget that if he was in power, he could potentially drag us back into the EU. Yeah. So I think that should be on everyone's mind especially in the next election, because Brexit is still... It was it was really hardly fought, um, and it's still potentially on the line. It's a, We're in a precarious position. Yeah. And with oh, I mean, there's a lot of very powerful people in this country yeah. who would still like us to no, be... No, absolutely. In, 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 in fact, it's all the big corporations. It's all the multinational yeah. corporations. It's the mainstream media. Yeah. If we have an effectively remain a prime minister, then Brexit isn't secure anymore. Mm. So at least with the Conservative Party, we know that they will still well, obey that mandate. You say that, but I'm not even sure about them anymore. I mean, yeah, you know, true, you look at Rishi Sunak sometimes, you, you go, really? That's true, but you still have... What do you think he's um, done wrong? of the minority. Rishi? Yeah, yeah, in terms of Brexit. I think he has... I don't think he's really... His heart's really in it. But he did vote for it. He did, but and I And also, think... I mean, Cameron and Osborne offered him loads of olive branches mm. to come and be... If he, if he would come and be on the Stronger yeah. Wing campaign. And it was massively in his political interest to do that. And he said no, because no. he genuinely does believe in Brexit. Yeah. Whereas I think arguably you could say that Boris Johnson was someone who decided quite late in the day. Yes, that could be true. I mean, I don't, I'm not one of those really that buys the fact that he wrote two different pieces and <laughs> that he wasn't sure. Because, you know, we've all kind of done that kind of thing. I mean, I famously... Uh, commissioned, I think, all the different pieces for the, the Beijing well, Olympics to be to be awarded. <laughs> well, it was and Boris. Then, except yes. we didn't do Beijing. <laughs> but I mean, I would say it was also Boris Johnson who created the points-based migration system yeah. that has seen the numbers skyrocket. Yeah. And now it's Rishi Sunak who actually has changed things a bit so that the numbers are lower. But he's getting the blame for things that are yeah. essentially his predecessors. You sound a bit like closet fan of Rishi Sunak. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of Rishi Sunak, but I think it's it's very unfair for people to blame him for things that Boris Johnson did far, far worse. Yeah. Pretend that he's somehow not a, a sort of sincere Brexiteer. Right. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's becoming like a kind of, a, you know, willy-waving exercise, not, yeah. a, not a kind of genuine... I'm just, I'm just not convinced by, by Rishi Sunak about anything, really. No, That's true. the problem. Well, I mean, it's not just Brexit. It's yeah. about yeah. all the things that he says he believes in. And you kind of go, but do you really... But it's, really, with all I mean, those, it's with all the politicians, I find. I mean, it's so difficult to find actually trustworthy figures, and that's because, as you said, even the ones who appear to be the most staunchly Brexiteer are the ones who are secretly like, debating at the yeah. last minute which side they want to go on for political expediency. Right. Um, I mean, we were looking is, back today yeah. earlier at, uh, <laughs> at, at the, the five-point plan that he had, you know, when he actually yeah. said mm. back in January, you know, we'll stop the boats, we'll bring down inflation, all of that, we'll yeah. cut down on the NHS waiting list, and everything that he said was fine until the bit he said at the end, which was, we'll either do it or we won't. And you kind of go, <laughs> is it, yeah. well, is that it then? Is that really the <laughs> best to come yeah. up with? And I just think, you know, now that he hasn't done it in large part, yeah. even though he seems to convince himself that he has, what do we do now? You know, should he not be kind of offering himself up as the sacrificial lamb? Yeah. No, I think he will certainly point to the number of competing crises that have happened um, over this year, the junior doctor strikes, the consultancy strikes. 
um, and any number of things. He, of course, will have ev everything to blame for this immigration, the immigration numbers as they are yeah. right now, because actually small boats make up such a tiny percentage of that. And he'll blame the courts for Rwanda. Yeah. These are very credible excuses, but like you say, they're just excuses. Yeah. That's all we're going to have. Right. We'll either do it or we won't. And the thing yeah. is, is, I mean, I know it's easy to be wise in hindsight, but if he had said in January, we're going to do our very best to, to, to slow down the numbers of people coming, or we're going to try mm. and stop the boats as best we can. We might not stop them altogether, but we'll definitely reduce the numbers. Then people would have gone, look, he's done a great job. And I, he set out this really high bar yeah, for himself. Yeah, politicians, the last six months, this is going to be a really toxic election because it's going to be mired by failure, I think. It's be OK for Labour. They don't mm. actually have a great... They don't have any policies right now. Right. Typical strategy before an election. But um, I don't... That, don't quite understand why Rishi Sunak is making these big grandstanding policies. Yeah. Um, He's making a, a sort of... A, like, because a even if he own, gets the Rwanda plan yeah. moving, yeah, it's going to account for very small migrants. So mm. yeah. I completely agree. I mean, you know, he, he didn't have to... The other, the other problem is that he just... His, he talks... We've heard about Rwanda constantly. Yeah. The, the channel might like an obsession. Oh, <laughs> front and centre of their offering. And it's actually not the only thing that they're right. doing. But you'd be forgiven for thinking it was, yeah. wouldn't you? And well, also, in putting it front and centre, they've made themselves the most terrible yeah, hostages yeah. to fortune. They haven't specified what the plan B is. No, if exactly. There is and the whole, the whole sort of rush to, to this emergency legislation, he created that problem for himself. Yeah. And now when he comes back from his yeah. Christmas holiday, he's going to have two factions of the same party, of his party, saying, don't change it over here. And over here saying, if you don't change it, we're yeah. not going to vote for it. Although, once again, I would say that, like, some of this stuff, I mean... It's not Rwanda was not his policy. Right. It was Boris Johnson and Priti Patel's mm. policy, and I think because he had to win over the right of his party, he, to trash it all together would have looked probably that would have sparked some ire in the mm. Tory ranks as well. So he kind of had to keep it. But his big mistake was putting it. At the but very... here's what I mean: if you were working in any other situation in, in newspapers or in uh, I don't know commerce, would you not say, "Look, this is not a good plan. I've got a better one." And yeah. this is what it is. It's not Rwanda, it's this. Yeah, well, yeah. But he, he clearly but he doesn't. Didn't do that. There's, I mean, there's a crisis of integrity here, really, with all our politicians. And I think, as you said, like, and now with this boiler tax, which is just absolutely mental. Yeah, the I boiler mean, tax is ridiculous. I don't understand. They want to drive our country to ruin. Yeah. Like, but that's he's a the guy, only He's supposed to have worked at Goldman Sachs. He's meant to be a smart guy, and I'm sure he is a smart yeah. guy. But, you know, he didn't see, for example, that the Supreme Court were going to reject the Rwanda plan. He obviously also hasn't seen the fact that if you tell the manufacturers of boilers that we're going to tax you, they're going to put the price of the boilers up. Really that, but and he's going, really oh, I didn't stand know up for Madeline's guy here and just say that with the he's boiler tax... <laughs> with the boiler it's tax. amazing if you just say a few facts about Rishi versus <laughs> Boris. Everyone's like, oh, you love him. No, it's just... Um, I mean, Rishi Sunak over Keir Starmer any day, in my no, opinion. I do think but with the... Um, boil, let's uh, be fair. With the boy, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> well, you were going to stand up for something that Madeline has said about Rishi Sunak. Yeah. About the boiler tax, maybe? Can't remember. So you've, you've, done, a good, you've done a good job there. <laughs> no, I, I, not, I don't yeah. want to be unfair to anybody. I just yeah. think that the problem with Rishi Sunak is that he's not the, the prime ministerial thing, enough. I agree. He's got a problem with communication yeah. big time and a yeah, lack of judgment. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not saying that by any stretch that he's perfect. It's amazing how if you say, like, one positive thing about Rishi Sunak... It's, right. But, but I, I don't know. I, I think that my, big, my fear is that actually some of these problems go far deeper even than politics. Yeah. You know, how do you get around the massive expansion of judicial review mm. and all of the Blairite innovations in our constitution? Yeah. Yeah. 
and you know a civil service that often doesn't want to do what the government tells mm. it to. I kind of worry that some of these problems go a lot deeper than the politicians yeah. we currently have. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when yeah. you ponder how 2023 was and how it went, and I might ask you later what your kind of moments of 2023 were, because I can't think of any, to be honest. Mm. I mean, all a I can think moments. of is a few... Well, certainly not any good <laughs> ones, really. No. It's a kind of fairly unmemorable year, it seems to me. Mm. But as you go into 2024, whoever's going to get the next prime ministerial job um, there's an awful lot to fix, isn't there? Oh, yeah. yeah. The thing is that, will they have the spine to fix it? Because, I mean, at this moment, this cohort of politicians just seem yeah. to me... You know, as you said, Madeline, you pointed to some problems which need a figure who's actually going to change things, who's working based on principles and conviction, not just, oh, how can I, you know, the management manage decline yeah. Yeah. that all our how politicians How can I manage approach. my party so, exactly. they, so yeah. they vote for me? Exactly. It's really sad. And, you know, we used to have figures who were like that, like Margaret Thatcher, mm. people who actually yeah. came in with a plan with ideas, who actually cared about right. politics and cared about the people of this country. Um, that's not the case anymore. And it wasn't just the Thatchers of this world. There yeah. were a lot of very substantial figures around her and even around yeah, Tony absolutely. Blair. You know, Tony Blair yeah. had some very substantial people around him. You might yeah. not have liked their politics and you might have been, you know, of the opinion they were a bit but, slimy. Yeah, yeah. But they were much point, yeah. more substantial than anyone we've got now. They achieved a lot. Imagine, I mean, a lot of yeah. horrible things, but yeah. they, they achieved but a great you know, deal. What we need sure. is someone to come um, and reverse Tony Blair's yes. reforms, but yes. with the same conviction that he had in implementing them. Yeah. I you saw know, some bad news the other day that Tony Blair's going to go out and negotiate peace in Israel. Oh I can God. see that. He yeah. has an ego the size of the donations he gets yeah. to his think tank. Um, it's enormous. Of it really he is. Thinks. Yeah. He couldn't save the Middle East when he was Prime Minister. So He was also... He's also he been... A lot of his donations do come from right. the Middle East. Well, so he was yeah. also he peace envoy. He does have an ear there. He was peace envoy to the Middle East for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, that's so funny. In between jobs at Goldman Sachs. There was a, a lot of carpetbagging during the year, yeah. those years as well. yeah. The foundation's and going It's funny well, how no one ever talks about where the money for the Tony Blair Institute comes from. No. I, you know, think so tanks, all the think tanks, if you're like the right wing think tanks, which have a fraction, a fraction of that, the, the money that yeah. and employees that the Tony it Blair Institute does. It's all from does. the Middle East. Yeah. And it's constant. I think, you know, who think, funds you? People are very interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about Tony Blair no. Institute. No, they don't ask the, the question. Global, the global institute. But that's the other the final Tony question Blair. I would say. <laughs> Given what we said about the civil service and how they are very much stymieing government policy. Will they be less like that if Labour get in? Will they suddenly all go, oh, well, Labour's good, so we'll, we'll help them do what they want to do? Or will they realise, actually, that people like Wes Streeting, when he came out the other day and said, we wouldn't give the, uh, the doctors 35% either, yeah. um, and he's actually showing some Blairite tendencies well, good, to be good quite luck good? To, good luck to, to, to Wes Streeting, but that, again, will be you know easier said than done, yeah. especially with the unions and everything. I think what my suspicion of what will happen is because... The current Labour cohort, as you said, they really lack operational experience. You know, they don't have many people with right. ministerial, real ministerial experience. And that's partly why they wanted to get Sue Gray in. Mm. Um, I think what will happen is the civil service will take on an expanded role because when there are governments that are uncertain or inexperienced, that's when, the you know, the blob sort of... It fills the vacuum. Yes. And I think that we'll basically see the civil servants getting... Just doing what they like, really. Right. Yeah, they already do. Running, mostly, ruling, yeah. ruling right. the I mean, With a weak government, I think well, that's just going well, to... Well, it may well be, it. but, you know, yeah. we shall see. Well, we've got lots more to do, lots more to talk about. Thank you very much indeed for the moment. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up next, the EU's new deal to stop migrant votes and make sure migrants stay deported. Interesting. We set sail after the break. Don't move anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. Now, another embarrassment uh, is the ongoing saga of the small boats. It's still a crisis. It seems the EU is getting its act together while our government messes about. 
a deal which has been made which will tighten immigration controls, basically making it easier to deport asylum seekers when their applications fail, has been reached. So why are we still umming and ahhing? Joining me now to figure it all out is former Chief Immigration Officer of the UK Border Force at Calais, Kevin Saunders. Kevin, very good evening to you. Welcome. Good evening, Mike. Now, we sort of touched upon this story last night when it came out. It looked as though the European Union has managed to find some way through um, the whole business of the ECHR and deportation and all the rest of it. But it looks good on paper, but I'm not sure how it's going to work. They say they're going to set up some uh, uh, processing centres, which they're going to build, apparently, and they're going to make it clear that no more than 12 weeks will be the time they take to process people, and then they'll just take them back to where they came from. But... All they know, presumably, is that they came from Libya, but they might not have come from Libya. Yes. I mean, I've, I've actually got the document that you're talking about in front of me, mm. and I've read it four or five times, and it, it's it's a usual sort of political document because there are ifs and buts in there. Yeah. But fundamentally speaking, they're kicking Dublin into touch and coming out with a, a new... Um, a new... I don't know what you would call it, Protocol. a new rule. Yeah. Yeah. But but as I say, Dublin goes out of touch. And um, what, they're, what they're saying is that an asylum seeker now has to claim asylum in the first EU country that they come to. Right. But there is a limit on the number of people that each EU country can actually take. Now, at the moment, that's 30,000. Well, under the new legislation, that's going to be, um, that's going to be set at 30,000. But each country has to uh, create its own figure after that. Well, we know that Hungary, I think, has taken single figures. So that one's going to be a bit difficult to enforce. Um, I think the big thing is that they're saying that an asylum seeker that comes through a safe country will automatically be excluded for claiming asylum in the EU. Right. And that's that's a really important one. Right. And that's something that we, we could... Uh, if we could get involved in that somehow, we could send them all back to France. Yes. So are they saying that 30,000 is the minimum that every EU country must take and then they can opt well, to take more if they wish? <clears throat> well... What they've done is they've set they've set a limit. Uh, they, they've had to set a limit in the document, right? And the document limit is set at thirty thousand, but it is up to each EU country to come up with its own figure. So I mean, some will take more, others will take uh, less. I mean, I can't see places like Malta being able to take no. 30,000 30, people, right? Or, or Cyprus that they just wouldn't be able to do it. But there is a requirement for each EU country to set a figure. And it looks like um, that they're going to get money from the EU. It could be as much as 600 million euro um, to, do, to do this. Right. So it, it's, a, it's a very interesting document, um, but I think there are one or two holes in it. Yes. Well, let me go back to what I said at the beginning, which is that if they, for example, decide that they're going to deport... I don't know, um, 100,000 people. Because let's face it, I know there were sometimes 8,000 people a day coming into Lampedusa uh, on the southern fringes of, uh, mm. of, of the Italian borders, right? Those little islands near Sicily. Um, if you've got something like 
um, I don't know, 40,000 a week coming and you're only keeping 30,000, that means you're deporting an awful lot of people sort of on a constant it, basis, aren't you? And in the end, if you well, just yes. take them all back to, to northern Africa or Libya, where, where do they go then? Well, this is, this is the hole that I can see because it says that anybody that arrives in a non-regulatory manner is unable to claim asylum. This is exactly what we've done. We've yeah. said that anybody that comes over in a boat and arrives here illegally is, isn't able to claim, uh, claim asylum. Right. And, uh, and this, the Europeans just copied us on this. Um, but they, they could now... You've got to remember that Italy has got a deal with uh, Libya. Now, I know Italy have. I'm not sure whether the EU have, but certainly Italy has, um, for sending people back. Um, the Libyans get paid a lot of money for taking people back. So I think that you'll probably see more money going towards Libya and more people being taken back there. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it's just that you have to keep paying people. It's like a sort of blackmail scenario, isn't it? If you don't pay the countries where they're coming from, they'll keep coming. If you do pay the countries where they're coming from, they'll keep coming. Um, and if you don't stop the people traffickers who are making more money than everybody, uh, they'll keep coming. I just, I mean, I don't really see a way of stopping it. Well, you're, you're right. Um, the, the, what the <coughs> Europeans are also saying is, if, if I'm reading this document correctly, is that anybody that is arriving into Europe is going straight into detention. And I think that's why the, the figure that you set mentioned at the beginning, about 12 weeks, is, is, is what this is based on. They can uh, detain them for 12 weeks in detention centres and get it all sorted out within that period. Right. But I, I, um, uh, it, it seems to me to be quite contrary to the... Uh, ECHR, but from what I can see in the document, they're not worried about that. Right. And so will it have a knock-on effect to those who come to this country? Because effectively, as you say, we might then be able to send them back to France. How does that work? Well, you know, we would have to, we would have, to have some deal with the EU and we're not going to get a deal with the EU. Um, the French won't take people back. It's not... They, they say it's not in their national interest yes. uh, to take them back. And, and they're right. Macron would uh, would be slaughtered if he took 29,000 illegal migrants that have come over this year back into northern France. He wouldn't get elected ever. So yes. that, that isn't going to happen. Um, he'll never agree to that. What we've got to do is we've got to make the UK totally and absolutely... Um, Unpleasant. I don't like the word unpleasant, but but that that that's what it is. Mm. To people coming across the channel, yeah, you've got to say to them, you're not going to be able to work. You're not going to be able to get benefits. You're not going to be able to get this. You're not going to be able to get that if you enter illegally. Yes. And Rwanda, despite what your previous uh, guests were saying, Rwanda will will work. The Rwanda deterrent is important. Yeah. And what, what we're not seeing <clears throat> is that if Rwanda does work, you'll find other African countries who have already quietly inquired if they could come into the scheme as well yeah. because they want the money. Right. 
Yeah, because it's very lucrative business. What about this um, other rule that the Home Office has kind of rode a little bit back on, I understand? Uh, one of the plans to reduce sort of legal migration was to uh, bring foreign spouses to the UK only if they were actually going to be making 38,700 quid. Um, that's not going to happen now. They're going to keep it at 29,000? Yeah, well, I mean, they're they, they putting it up, but they're only putting it up to 29,000. Right. But there's a lot of... Um, a, a, a lot of uh, misunderstanding, I think, is the, probably the word to use, about people coming to the UK on visas. Yeah. If a, a visa is issued for X number of years, three years, five years, and everybody knows that, you apply yeah. for a visa, you're going to get it for three years. Right. You know at the end of those three years, you have no right to stay. You have to reapply. Mm. So... Um, if you go ahead and get married or whatever, you're, you're effectively laying yourself open for a whole load of trouble if your mm. visa is not renewed, because it's quite simple. Uh, you were never guaranteed to be here forever. Yes. You are only here no, for the No, I get that, but, but we were also told, Kevin, were we not this year by, by the Home Office figures, that one of the reasons why it was such a high number in terms of the net and migration figure uh, officially, 750,000, was that more and more people are staying longer than their visa, whether it's a student visa or a work visa, uh, suggested they would. Yes, that, that and that is very true. And, and the Home Office did... Um, did let on that 17,000 people had got lost. <coughs> um, and I, I was surprised it was only 17,000. The trouble is we don't have enough enforcement officers. We yeah. need more and more enforcement officers to go after the people that we have mislaid. Yes. Or Maybe we could hire the people being... that we've mislaid to be enforcement officers. Maybe that would work. Well, yeah, there you go. That would <laughs> be, be a good idea, wouldn't it? It would. But that... We we need seriously. We need we need our enforcement officers, and, and you see, sometimes our enforcement officers will go round to, let's say, a, a, a restaurant of some some sort, and find people that we've lost there, but we have no detention space, so we had to we tell them that uh, we're arresting them for being in the UK illegally, but we can't put them into detention because we've got no detention space. Right. So you have to bail them. And as soon as you bail them, they disappear again. Yeah, yeah it's a terrible system. And, I, you know, I'm just very pessimistic about whether it'll ever be fixed. But, Kevin, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Kevin Saunders, their former chief immigration officer. Now, uh, coming up in the sparkling independent Republican, Mike Graham, the big travel shutdown. Houston, the Eurostar and BA have all erupted into chaos. Of course they have, because it's a Christmas weekend. Stay right where you are. You can't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here. We've got a huge Christmas weekend coming up, and Storm Pier is set to tear through the UK with winds of up to 80 miles an hour. Severe travel disruptions are going to be expected. Our correspondent, Jake um, Robson, was out in the eye of the storm a bit earlier, and this is what he had to tell us. 
I've been in Hunt Stanton in North Norfolk where as you can see it has been pretty windy and cold as well. We have been told that Storm Pier has made its way off the British Isles officially and making its way to Denmark but the disruption has been a plenty in the afternoon and into the evening not least at Euston Station where trains have now been suspended and the Eurostar has also seen similar issues because the Eurotunnel workers decided that after all this disruption to top it all off it was a time for them to go on strike. An ever-changing weather situation saw the British Isles, the north of Britain I should say, battered by 80 mile an hour gusts last night and overnight into this morning and of course even though things might have died down somewhat it is of course what has left in its wake the disruption that we now face in Britain. The trains have had problems and British Airways have also said that their schedule today has been severely disrupted. I mentioned the issues that they've had on the Eurostar in Scotland as well. The Trans Pennine Express operators earlier gave the order for people to not travel unless they really, really had to on the line to and from Edinburgh. So it's very clear exactly the kind of disruption that Britain has faced. You wonder how it's going to shape up with Christmas, of course, very, very shortly coming round the corner. We're told that this weekend will be the busiest time to travel travel some 21 million journeys are going to be made across the weekend so the AA have suggested that if you are trying to avoid that rush i.e. travel tonight or indeed tomorrow on Friday that to take great care because there could be debris and of course things like flooding on the road as well. You wonder if uh, the British public will be cowed down to any such issues with of course the festive period coming you'd imagine certainly not and of course one last thing for you Mike is that activists will say that this is clear indication of climate trouble that's the one I'll leave for you to sort out. Jake, thank you very much indeed. Don't follow the Eurostar as well is a story that we'll talk about coming up a little bit later on in the sun because apparently there's been a French strike which has shut the Channel Tunnel. I mean, they do pick their moments, don't they? They really do. Let's talk now to Simon Calder. Oh, sorry, Simon's not there yet. We'll get back to you in a moment with that. Festive plans plunge into chaos. Militant union chiefs, this time not on this side of the Atlantic, uh, on this side of the pond, rather, the channel, uh, in Britain, over in France instead. All services were suddenly suspended to and from London at noon today because of staff demands for a €3,000 one-off payment. The bosses rejected them, and so they went, right, well, that's OK, we'll just shut down the entire channel tunnel. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, the RMT, good old Mick Lynch, has apparently announced yet more strike chaos on London's tube network, uh, including walkouts on January the 8th and January the 10th. Merry bleeding Christmas to you, Mick, as well. Thanks very much indeed. Let's talk to Simon Calder, because Christmas getaways have been plunged into absolute chaos. As I said, uh, Eurostar trains cancelled. Eurotunnel workers out on strike. Not much festive cheer. We just heard from Jake Robson. London uh, Euston Station uh, said that uh, lines were blocked because of power problems. And to top it all off, of course, the Storm Pier forced trains going up north to be delayed or cancelled altogether. And if you were flying anywhere, British Airways cancelled a load of flights, flights as well. Simon Calder, I'm very happy to say, uh, is working late tonight for us. He's over at Heathrow, I think. Simon, a very good evening to you. Uh, yeah, actually, um, I'm going to be travelling out to Heathrow to see what's happening there, but I'm uh, here at relatively festive Paddington Station, um, the main departure point for South Wales and for uh, the west of mm. England, Mike. And uh, really important to remember that this station, as well as London King's Cross, is going to be closed completely on Christmas Eve. So, therefore, if you are trying to get to uh, your loved ones, you re really don't want to leave it too late if you're relying on the trains. And, yes, on top of all the mayhem we knew about, such as rail engineering works, 
we suddenly have had storms, we've had electrical overhead wire problems, and then, yeah, the Euro tunnel strike just came out of nowhere, yeah. and it has traumatized tens of thousands of travelers' journeys, absolutely miserable. It's now been called off, but um, all the damage has been done. I was down at St. Pancras International, where Eurostar runs passenger trains to um, Amsterdam, Paris, and Brussels. Eurostar wasn't involved, except that it goes through the tunnel, and the French decided, we're going to close that tunnel. So you've got storms, which is an act of God. You've got um, engineering works, which is an act of network rail. And now you've got no trains, no channel tunnel, which is an act of them French. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, Christmas is only a few days away. Um, we've got more strike action being organised in the new year by Mick Lynch and the RMT on the tube, if nothing else. Um, so how bad is the backlog? I mean, if somebody says to me, for example, well, I wanted to travel, I've got tickets to go through the Eurotunnel tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, is that likely to happen? Uh, look, you're going to be OK, I think. Um, they are getting back to normal on the shuttle tonight. Right. There aren't going to be any Eurostar trains. Um, they cancelled 30 of them today. That represents 25,000 people who will be waking up tomorrow morning where they didn't intend to right. be. So that's going to be miserable for them. But, um, yeah, this just came out of nowhere. Some people uh, I talked to said they were flying back. Um, Eurostar hasn't told me that they're putting on any extra trains. And bear in mind, this time of year, everybody is so heavily invested emotionally in their journey, yes. desperate to get where they need to be, and stuff just comes out of nowhere and, and trashes their journey. So a heck of a lot of despair, frustration, upset of what's been happening today. Yes. And early on, I saw that you were tweeting about trouble getting to Scotland because of the weather and uh, trains being cancelled in the north of England. What's going on with that? Is that likely to be repaired by tomorrow? Yes. So what we had today, I mean, quite a lot of the disruption today we knew about and you could kind of work around. So, um, for example, Network Rail in Scotland said it's going to have, we're going to have 80 mile an hour winds. We are going to close a number of key lines um, in the Highlands, Western Scotland, far north of Scotland. Yeah. And we're going to do that because we don't want to take any risks of um, things being uh, trees falling on the lines or whatever. Um, and so they did that deliberately. And that's now kind of easing. So things should be back to normal. We also had um, Trans Pennine Express saying, oh, you don't want to go anywhere near Edinburgh today. Um, postpone your journey if you can. And LNER um, curtailed a number of trains, sending them only as far from London as Newcastle rather right. than Edinburgh. But those problems, yes, yeah, Storm P, P is still going to be uh, lurking around. But it's, it's, I think the worst of the weather has gone. Um, now it's a question of whether everybody can repair their travel plans and, crucially, whether tomorrow the whole aviation system can stand yeah. up to what's going to be the heaviest test since um, COVID, really. Well, yeah, because what happened to British Airways today? They cancelled a lot of flights. Were they the only airline that wasn't running properly? Uh, yeah, British Airways cancelled a whole lot of flights because, um, well, Storm Pier was what they told me. Um, it was interesting. Uh, 24, I counted, uh, short-haul domestic and European flights, mostly to the usual suspects, so kind of... Amsterdam, Berlin, Hamburg, and uh, a sprinkling of U UK destinations. They're hopefully going to be on course tomorrow. Um, Heathrow is going to set to have its busiest day 
in the winter since 2019. Wow. There'll be a quarter of a million people going through that one airport. And that is going to be like a, a normal, uh, a busy summer's day. Crucially, though, everyone's going to be wearing big coats <laughs> and be bearing gifts, many of them. So um, could be a little bit slow on the old security line. Yes. What's happened to all these people who haven't got any money? You know, it seems to be an awful lot of people travelling in an awful lot of very expensive ways to get to very expensive places where they don't live. Uh, yes, um, there is certainly plenty of evidence that people are still making up for lost uh, sunshine, lost city breaks, lost adventures, lots of people going skiing, of course, spending an absolute fortune yeah. propping up the uh, airlines. But actually, for the rest of the winter, it's looking a little bit bleak mm. um, in terms of the fares that I'm seeing. I mean, I've just been to Albania and back for 30 quid. Nobody's making any money out of that. Um, and also, well, would you believe it's the busiest Christmas day that we've ever had? And I'm seeing flights for 38 quid from Cardiff to Alicante on Christmas Day. Uh, fantastic deal. And if you want to fly further south than that, then EasyJet will get you from Liverpool to Tenerife on Christmas Day again for um, just 58 quid. So there are still some bargains if you want to uh, head south and get some sun. Yeah, that's not bad at all, is it? And as far as the, um, uh, the sort of the roads are concerned, I've been reading all week that nobody's been at work this week. They've all decided to take uh, early time off for Christmas. So will they actually be as bad as they've been predicted to be? Because if they were well, not working, then presumably they've all gone where they want to go. Well, you would hope so, OK. But what the motoring organisations are telling me is that for a lot of people, um, actually, this week is just a normal week. So tomorrow you're going to get the normal commuter traffic together with over three and a half million journeys that people are going to be making because they basically think that they um, they need to make that um, uh, uh, trip to get to where they need to be. And they are warning that it's going to be really tough um, from about 10 in the morning till 6 in the evening, usual suspects, the M25 west of London, uh, the M1 going north, particularly through Buckinghamshire, Northamptonshire, and then the uh, M6 um, coming down the, through the sort of North Midlands, M6 through Staffordshire. But of course, as you know, Mike, traffic jams can pop up anywhere, anytime. Um, if it you know, just takes a little bump and then suddenly everything glues uh, up. And the advice very strongly is avoid the middle of the day on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, if you possibly can, start very early or start late. Yeah, well, thanks to your mate Sadiq Khan, I usually spend most of my time trying to get out of London, even though I live quite close to the, to the edge of it. But that just gets worse every year. What are you doing for Christmas, Simon? Are you doing anything exciting? Well, look, unfortunately, I have found over the years that um, my place is really um, trying to keep an eye on what's going on and offering what mm. advice I can. I wish it wasn't. I hate being the voice of travel doom, but every Christmas <laughs> it sort of seems to come around and um, I'm just sort of trying to vaguely explain what people's rights are when it all goes tango uniform, as they say in the travel industry. Yes, or indeed, Charlie Uncle. Um, I'm told it's your birthday on Christmas Day, almost godlike. I mean, I've always known you to be a sort of a seer uh, and, and a foreteller of great fortunes, but I had no idea you shared the birthday with Jesus Christ. Well, it gets two things out of the way at the same time, so I've got more time for uh, talking to you, Mike, which is yes. the greatest Well, I did want to say I've had. missed you because this is the first time I think we've managed to get you on uh, in the new improved evening version of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. So I'm grateful that you're still working. 
Oh, well, look, um, this time of year, it's um, it, it's all hours. And there will be fantastic men and women who are working to keep the travel industry running. Um, so please be nice to them. Uh, all these frontline staff really want you to get where you need to be. And don't give them a hard time if things go a little bit um, uh, sticky, because um, it's not their fault. No, absolutely right. Well, Simon, this is great to talk to you, and a Merry Christmas and a Happy Birthday to you as well. And we'll see you, I presume, in the new year. Simon Calder there from The Independent, travel guru to the stars. He's down there at Paddington Station. Now, I didn't even know that it was closing Paddington Station as of tomorrow, because uh, I may have somebody that I know who wants to get uh, somewhere who wants to go in that direction, but we'll have to figure that out. Coming up, uh, though, coming up though, later, a roundup of chaos and joy from the last year of The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Plus, your thoughts, your calls. Stay right there, guys. Talk TV. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic with Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for Taking the Mic. So, how was it for you? 2023, I mean. It's not going to go down as a brilliant year exactly, is it? Let's take stock of what we learned. We found out that Prince William was circumcised, thanks to his brother Harry's revelations in the book Spare. We discovered that Dominic Cummings was so unimpressed with ministers in Boris Johnson's cabinet that he referred to them as F-pigs and the C-word. I can't say them, even though we're on after nine o'clock. We were told that Rishi Sunak would either succeed with his five-point plan or he wouldn't. And I think we know the answer to that. It was confirmed that Donald Trump still scares the Democrats just as much, if not more, than he always has. Right now, he looks like the next president of the United States. And, of course, we learned that, unfortunately, there is a whole lot more anti-Semitism in the world than anyone else ever imagined. So, 2023, what will it be remembered for? Has anything good happened? As I cast my mind back over the last 12 months, I can't really think of any particularly standout moment. The COVID inquiry has been a huge disappointment. Hardly anything of note has come out of it, and it seems to have become a grandstanding event for the dozens of barristers who are costing us the earth. The Conservative government seems to flip-flop between being pragmatic and downright desperate in its attempt to save the party's ship from going down beneath the waves. And Sir Keir Starmer looks ever more depressingly like the next Prime Minister of this great country. Today, though, he decided to look even more impressive by donning a NATO camouflage jacket and posing for pictures with troops over in Estonia. News alert on that. It didn't actually work, Keir. The big question is, what will next year have in store for us? And who will be the Prime Minister at this time? Will the small boats still be coming? And will they be getting any bigger? Can we hold out any hope for the, some tax cuts to stimulate the economy? And could we hope for some kind of settlement between Israel and the moderate Palestinian world? Because they won't settle with Hamas. Could the police actually start doing their job? Will the councils get off our backs? Will our doctors stop striking and get back to what they're supposed to do? I have to say, it does not look good. But one thing's for certain, the independent republic will continue to focus its laser-like eyesight on making sure that things get better. Whoever is in power, we are still the people, and we are still the people that count. We'll be toasting the future later on in the show. Join us with a glass. Now, lots of you have been getting in touch, and we'll be taking some calls as well, 0344 499 uh, Lots of you want to say things about Storm Appear. Uh, I commented to a colleague at work today, says KD, that I remember when we just called days like today very windy. Uh, now we give it a name. Well, still, Pia doesn't really sound like anything, does it? I don't understand why people would get worked up about a name like that. TK says, you call that a storm. I'm more concerned about Cyclone Jasper. 
I don't know where that's going on, but Cyclone Jasper sounds like it's in the Far East somewhere. Gary says, it broke a plant pot in my garden. Yikes. MK takes it a bit more seriously and says, I won't be seeing my family as a result. I'm absolutely heartbroken. And Gia says, why is this country so badly prepared for events like this? Well, I think there's a problem, isn't there? Whenever there's any kind of, you know, slightly different weather, whether it rains a lot, there's floods, if it's too hot, we have a drought. Uh, if there's any wind, things blow onto railway lines and they have to shut the railway lines down. It just is a constant sort of struggle to make the infrastructure of this country work properly. And you can guarantee that tomorrow, if you get in your car and try and drive anywhere, you will be stuck in traffic for probably twice as long as you thought you would be. So, how about this? Time to spread some Christmas joy. I thought I'd ask the elves to delve into the archives and pull out some clips of my very good friend, Kevin O'Sullivan, making a bit of a twit of himself. Check this out. And Alex, morning, guys. What's coming up on the show? The Lovin', next. Hello? Can you Good. hear us, Kevin Alex? Good morning and welcome to the show. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. And I'm Alex Phillips and we're with you for the next half hour to chat through all the stories that have caught our eye this morning. You're with Talk TV on TV, on radio, online and on your smart speaker. <laughs> right, well, I think works. we clearly I had a couple of technical yes. issues there. Yeah, that was Kevin O'Sullivan doing what was supposed to be a chat into the uh, breakfast show talk today, uh, but he thought it was actually the start of his own show. So, unfortunately for him, um, it didn't work out terribly well. We'll have a few more clips of Kevin, uh, not because we're picking on him, but just because we do have quite a few of them. Um, and, of course, if you look back on what we've been doing all through the year here at Talk TV, it has been some pretty amusing stuff, and it has been very funny. So, um, we're going to try and lighten the mood coming up in the next hour. We're going to be talking to Sebastian Gorka over in America. He's going to give us the lowdown on Donald Trump because it looks as though there might be a few other states following in Colorado's footsteps. You might remember we reported on this yesterday uh, with Joe Walsh. Colorado have decided that Donald Trump apparently is breaking constitutional rules if he runs to be president in that state. So their Supreme Court has actually said, we will not allow him to run on the ballot, which is entirely and utterly ridiculous. And even many Democrats are saying... This is a step too far. All you're going to do, empower Donald Trump and Donald Trump's movement and Donald Trump's supporters. And if any other states start following suit, then there will probably be some kind of insurrection in the place, for heaven's sake. Because the one thing that you know is going to harm Donald Trump is beating him. The one thing that is not going to harm him is trying to stop him from running. Because all that will do is put more money in his coffers and it will encourage him even more. And when Sebastian Gorka joins us, he's going to be telling me that Joe Biden, who's currently saying that his rival, Donald Trump, is a threat to democracy, is only saying that because he's so far behind in the polls. And that seems to me to be an extraordinary state of affairs. I mean, how on earth can Joe Biden, the sitting president of the United States of America, be so fearful of an opponent that he claims to have already beaten, because he did supposedly beat him in the last election, but he doesn't want to beat him again. He doesn't want to face him again. He obviously feels like he can't win. Terrible state of affairs. Also, I'll be telling you a little bit more about something that happened in a school uh, here in East London today, uh, which is quite disturbing. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up in the next hour, we'll also look at how Sadiq Khan proves how he can't. Low-traffic neighbourhoods raise pollution. See you coming up after this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Evening. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course we're on your smart speaker. Tonight, why more states are lining up to try and block Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot and how it might be gold for his campaign. Big Boy Starmer infuriates his party by saying he wouldn't rule out pressing the nuclear button on Vladimir Putin and the absurdity of low-traffic neighbourhoods causing more pollution, while councils rake in record profits with bus lane fines. Coming up in this hour, we get the panel back in charge and we'll talk about 2023, what was the best moment, what was the worst moment, and what about 2024? Where's it all going? Don't forget you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones as well, 0344 499 1000. Calls cost the national rate. But let's talk a little bit about what's been going on uh, in the last 24 hours. It might seem that the streets of Britain have been a little quieter than usual these past few weeks. Those huge pro-Palestinian marches seem to have subsided somewhat from the days when every weekend there were tens of thousands of people taking over our cities, chanting from the river to the sea and causing police forces up and down the country to have the collective heebie-jeebies. But if you thought the sentiments of our split country have changed, you'd be wrong, because a lot of these demonstrations are simply taking place a bit more locally. Because while the situation in the Middle East is just as bad as it has ever been since the October the 7th massacre by Hamas, the tensions in the UK, if anything, are getting worse. You only have to watch an additional question time to see how many people are fundamentally anti-Israeli and against allowing any kind of sympathy for the Jewish communities of Britain. Today we saw something even more troubling, the closing of a primary school because of a mass demonstration by pro-Palestinian parents upset at what they thought was the victimisation of a young pupil because he wanted to wear a Palestinian badge to class. Barclay Primary in East London, which has a large number of Muslim children attending, was forced to close a day early for Christmas after escalating threats were made to staff who were accused of Islamophobia. The mother of one child said he had been victimised because he wanted to show support for Palestinian families in Gaza. The woman, who is also from Gaza, said he was made to eat his lunch away from other children and was eventually excluded from the school. Some other parents say the final straw came when Barclay Primary sent a letter out threatening to report them and their children to prevent the government's terror watchdog group. Clearly... There is much sympathy in East London for the Palestinian cause. Palestine flags hang from lampposts nearby and many of the kids have links to Gaza. But should schools in Britain really have to put up with this kind of madness? The trouble started, say the parents, when the school encouraged kids to show solidarity with Ukraine back in 2022. And now it's been proven to be a bit of a slippery slope. People should leave politics out of our schools. There's no need for them to be there. Later on in the show, we'll be reading you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. But before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look uh, at the Sun newspaper. And we've got this story that we were just talking to Simon Calder on. Uh, don't follow the Eurostar. Um, just when you weren't expecting it, suddenly the French decided to go on strike. A completely wildcat, immediate 24-hour strike. The militant union chiefs basically held bosses to ransom. They wanted a €3,000 one-off payment. Otherwise, they were going to shut down the tunnel, which they then did. So apologies if you're sitting in a hotel somewhere near 
Dover waiting to get on the, uh, a train. Um, I'm sorry about that, but the French are to blame. Apparently, it's going to be all right tomorrow. Dreadful. Moving on, more embarrassment for Mark Harper's transport department. The Great Network North project, promising to revitalise northern transport links, has announced it will fund potholes instead. My panel is back, Telegraph columnist Madeline Grant, political commentator Alice Grant, and um, communications director for the Henry Jackson Society, Megan Gittos. Welcome back, everybody. Um, a lot to talk about. Should we? I know we're going to kick off probably with potholes and money coming down from the north, but I'd like to talk about this school situation in East London because... I read that story today and, and with sort of incredulity, incredulity, thinking it's quite a weird situation to have a school being kind of held to ransom effectively by a lot of parents and so many of them with links to Palestine. I mean, I don't wish to sound in any way xenophobic here, but I didn't realise there were quite so many Palestinians living in London as there as they seem to be. There's, there's parts of East London where Palestine flags fly more regularly than anything else. I just think the real sadness here is that this, like, extremely sensitive issue, which is a war affecting innocent civilians on both sides, is, used, is being used to just throw about words like Islamophobia now in our country. You know, we, this, that's not in the national interests at all. It's and really not. And this is being weaponised in order to push yeah. certain agendas here on both sides. Yeah. And in this case, it's the whole Islamophobia thing, which is obviously yeah. just not true. I just, it just doesn't seem like it should be happening here. That's, that's my point, I suppose. Maybe I'm just yeah. out of touch with the way the world has become. Yeah, so I think that it's fair that a lot of British citizens do feel a lot of sympathy. I mean, um, as a Christian Catholic, I've seen recently a parish that has twinned with my parish is going through a lot and it's in Gaza and it's in Palestine. Yeah. There are a lot of um, innocent Christians there who are, who are being mercilessly persecuted right. at the moment by Hamas and also by Israeli forces. Um, so my heart is really with them. But I think... Yeah, but if you're, if you're here, dealing with a Christian yeah. church which is twinned with another Christian yeah. church, they're, I presume they're not flying Palestinian flags in the Christian church, are they? No, we're sending them a little... Because that seems to be the but thing. I don't yeah. really mind if, if people are flying... Pal they're entirely within their rights to fly whatever flags they want and express themselves. However, I think there's something really troubling when there's parents and actually quite sections of civil society which are encouraging the disruption of schools yeah. for children mm. right. and, and politicising it. Yeah. And there have also been loads of documented cases of schools letting kids have the day off so they could attend yes. these marches right. in London and possibly Which is elsewhere. also a mistake, in my view. I think yeah. that this is, a, this is a problem because there is a place for politics mm. in schools. It may be in your PS, PSHE class yeah. or if you do politics as a, as a subject. But the idea that these issues are becoming so integral to the kind of mental well-being of, say, yeah. a 12 or 13-year-old that right. they can't go to school that day right. because this, is, this has become really toxic and yes. taking us away from what schools ought well, to be. Well, the boy in question is supposed to be eight years old. Um, oh, and his, and his mother old. is from Gaza, and so he wanted to wear a Palestinian badge of some kind because he wanted to show solidarity with some of his relatives mm -hmm. who had been killed in Gaza, which, on the one hand, seems yeah. a perfectly normal thing to want to do, but in this, in this kind of febrile atmosphere that we've got. It's, it's just difficult. There's not yeah, a war that I've known about or that anyone's really talked about that's been politicised as much as this. No. And, of course, massive sympathy for that child mm -hmm. because if an eight-year-old generally probably is just following, wanting to show solidarity, yeah. that's it. It's as innocent as that. Mm. And it's obviously children... It's good for them to be curious, especially about politics, and that should be encouraged... But the problem is, is that, as you said, it's a slippery slope. We yeah. allow it for one thing and not the other. And teachers also come with their own agendas, letting mm. children right. have time off for school. Whereas it's a really dangerous game to play because one person's 
live or die issue is not going to be the same for their neighbours. Mm, this issue is becoming, as we've said, and I've said, very politicised. Yeah. And it's very stress frustrating because it, because of that, um, it's not the same for everything. So there's a genocide going on against Uyghur Muslims right, right now in China. Mm. And, of course, when there was the there's issue with the Yemen... There's some ethnic cleansing going on in Sudan, I think. Yeah, in well. Sudan and with um, in Yemen. And there's these mm -hmm. crises for Muslims everywhere. And so you can't just say Islamophobia mm. every time someone is more critical of Gaza or Palestine, yeah. for example, because... There is genocide, right. unfortunately. I mean, I have to say, I was a bit uneasy. And I'm, this has nothing to do with, with, with Palestine, effectively. I mean, I was a bit uneasy with, with all the Ukraine flags that suddenly started appearing all over the place, you know. I because think when they start the parents here are saying flags, that's how it started yeah. because the school said it was all right to wear Ukrainian buttons and, and Ukrainian kind of messages and you can't wear one for Palestine because you, if you kind of have to let everybody do it then. No, I agree. It's quite shocking, especially when it's plastered on, on our institutions in Westminster. Yeah. I mean, that to me is way too far. But also, as you said, with a political issue in school, I think it's so important that we really talk about this because yeah. actually, as you said, teachers come with their agendas. And how are you supposed to feel as a child when you're being bullied and made fun of right. your political views, like in presumably this eight-year-old was? Increasingly, issues of geopolitics yeah. are having an impact in social cohesion in this country, and that's not a shock. They, yeah. If you look at the census, that wouldn't surprise anyone. The problem is, is our strategies that are in place, like prevent strategy and extremism strategy, they're not prepared. And everyone's talking about the Israel and Hamas war having an effect on social cohesion in this country, but this has been an issue for a while on mm. intercommunity disputes that are happening far yeah. across the world, right. having, like, the Leicester riots, for yes. example, having huge impacts mm. on our streets. Um, with Ukraine, um, I'm not... I'm not splitting hairs here, but that is war in Europe. Yeah. It, it was very scary for everyone at the time, um, and it was new, and we've... Putin is one of our adversaries. So I kind of get it, but I don't think it should have been in schools particularly. Yeah, but I, I'm not, like, I don't think the flags are, are, are that big... Back, that big of a problem. You know, we're not France. We don't have a kind of laïcité about what people, what symbols people can mm. wear in public. Mm. The thing that really troubles me is that an argument over whether people could do that or not has turned into something that has meant that a school has to yeah. close yeah, early no, for Christmas. Right. Yeah. It's about attendance. And it was and... driven very much by social media posts yes. that were being made on TikTok by one particular individual. And, 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 and parents and, and people getting, you know, mm. I understand people are angry and upset, especially yeah. if they have relatives there, but Historically, we have generally been able to say, actually, this is more... That letting kids have yeah. an education is top yeah, priority. exactly. Yes. You would think so. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. You know, it's, I'm not making a big thing about the flags. I just think that when Ukraine happened, there was very much a sense that you had to be a supporter of Ukraine. And if mm. you weren't a supporter of Ukraine or you didn't really have a view, you right. were kind of treated as a bit of a, a sort of anachronism and a bit of a strange character. It was like, well, why wouldn't you support Ukraine? Well, it's not that I don't support them, it's just that I'm not really that interested, yeah. you know? And a lot of people felt, well, I think, you know, out yeah. of place there. I think war is never in Britain's national interest, and we have very reckless politicians. But it wasn't the 40s. Sure. No, well, <laughs> well, it was definitely I mean, even, then, even then, I think I'm that was sure. a travesty with so many young British boys' think... lives being lost. But I think, I think the thing here is that, you know, we have politicians like Keir Starmer who are going on saying the most reckless things. Like, you're right, we're dealing with people who are 
maniacs. I mean, when we're talking about some of these world leaders, mm. they're not to be trusted, they're not to be toyed with, and to be talking about, like, nuclear um, war is just... It's really unbelievably That's reckless. Smart, it's irresponsible. It? Yeah, no, it's this, irresponsible. Is a, this is a very common question that is asked. It's very it common, is. especially with Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn, especially from then. Yeah, sorry. But the, the issue I don't is, is that yeah. it could, we heard that this when this happened before with Liz Truss, Putin immediately talked about his retaliation on our country. And, listen, I know maybe our politicians are just... You know, trying to like sound all but if, powerful, but, if, but actually, Madeline, if they are like going to be asking, hang on, if they are going to be asking this question to politicians, surely politicians should have the answer, shouldn't they? They should practice it. Yeah, yeah, they should, and, and I think that's what Keir Starmer did. He said, "I would press the button." There's yeah. no good having the button if you say, oh, "I'm not going to press it," like yeah. Jeremy Corbyn did. But right. deterrent only works if people think that you would use it. Mm. So it's, I think it's perfectly. So you think he gave the right answer? I think it was a perfectly sensible I think he thing gave to the right answer. I don't, answer I don't think it was saying rattling. I think it's a very common question that's often asked of politicians. Yeah. I don't I'm know. just I always surprised by politicians. I think it's very responsible to be talking about nuclear warfare when it could mean the loss of like so many. Yeah, millions but if you're going to elect somebody to be prime what? minister, you'd want to know what. I have to know that if we're shot with these missiles, that mm. he will also retaliate. I know it wouldn't yeah. help. I'd be dead. I mean, part of the reason we're in the problem is that Ukraine gave up any claim it had to to those sorts of weapons. Dearmed itself, so yes. it's well, it kind of did it because it was asked to, though. Precisely, yeah. precisely, which was a very short-termist, yeah. foolish decision. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'm too pro-peace. <laughs> you are too pro-peace. But pro to be peace. honest, I think, you, sometimes... if you, I think if you I want think peace, you have what... to prepare for war. No, well, yeah, look, do. I'm totally about defensive warfare strategy. I completely believe in that, and I think that we have a country which should and ought to be defended if that is necessary. Mm. But when it comes to being aggressive, when it comes to, you know, talking about, like, potentially nuclear, nuclear bombing other nations... We have to for me, that is totally credit where it's due. We yeah, have but to it give is. Cre it's he not was as abhorrent as when it actually happens, though. Um, let's talk about Alan Titchmarsh. Uh, cancel culture. Apparently, he says uh, to Times Radio, uh, he's appalled at the existence of cancel culture, um, and he thinks that it shouldn't happen. I think we all are appalled at the uh, business of uh, Alan Titchmarsh talking about it. Let's have a look and see what he had to say about it. And I think too many people at the moment are frightened of saying what they feel, which isn't always, you know, wrong. It's just different. And I think we really do need to safeguard our ability to speak freely about what we feel and for opinions that differ from those of our own to be considered. Yeah, that's a controversial statement now. <laughs> I mean, luckily, here at Talk TV, you can say what you like. Yeah, it'll never catch on. I know. <laughs> yeah. But there is this thing now, isn't there? It goes back, and I don't want to get back into the Ukraine argument, but there is this thing now. If you, if you say something which people find different mm. to what they're expecting to hear... They sort of look at you like you're a bit weird. I think what's the most... I don't remember Britain yeah. ever being like that before. It's the self-censorship, which is frightening. Mm. It's when you find yourself not saying things because you're too afraid right. of Well, you're the still at university, right? So what's it like yeah. there? Well, I mean, I think I find it a bit freer, to be honest. I think I've never been shy from expressing mm. my opinions, even if they no. happen to... But has it got people. better in the last couple of um, years or worse? Well, you know, I think there is certainly an extent to, like, which there's definitely a push for self-censorship right. and a push to create this climate of fear where people feel unable to express their opinions but, you know, I think it's important to just to, to persevere yeah, yeah. in the truth. But I just keep hoping that the wokery thing will go away, that it'll just be a fad. And we'll, you know, in a year from now, you and I will be sitting here going, do you remember that time when it was mad when you couldn't say things? But <laughs> well, now you can. to fight back, and this is what Talk TV's doing. And this is what, well, we're trying know, to. Exactly, and this is, this, is, this is the real important thing, is that there are organisations that try to fight back and people who are prepared to stand up and say I mean, what I they believe I mean, I feel that we're better off now than we were, say, in 2020. 
Yeah, we, sort of summer I agree. of Black Lives Matter yeah. was a much more difficult yeah. time. People were going mad during lockdown. Yeah. It that made people crazy. do and say yeah. crazy things. People were frightened and there was a lot of anger and tension at people being locked inside and I think it really bubbled to the surface mm. in 2020. And yes. companies were being cancelled over the strangest things yes. that organisations and businesses that had never engaged in any type of, yeah. like, politics at all, and it's kind of what we were saying about right. the schooling, mm. didn't put the black square on their Instagram yes. and they yeah. were, everyone yeah. was boycotting them. That's it was really weird, thing, weird because actually yes. I kind of trust companies a little less when they are so quick to just join any bandwagon because actually I don't need the people I buy my lipstick from to have a pol political agenda. Exactly. No. Yeah, exactly. I honestly don't need it. Yeah. As long as I know that the company's kind of... It's, it's, right. it's a good... It's ethical. It's ethical. Sort of sending children <laughs> That's down what mines. I was looking for. <laughs> actually, it's not a million miles away from what we were talking about with the schools, mm. actually. The idea that some things... That you can create a space where yeah. things mm. can be apolitical that you can buy a, a tub of ice cream without it telling you yeah. that you have to boycott this, right. divest the, from that. <laughs> on the subject of Ben and Jerry's, it's all marketing. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's all their, like, hippie stance when yeah. actually they're part of, you know, organisations if like Unilever, which have yeah. a dubious ethical right. But practices. does it work for them? Because, I mean, while yeah. we say what a bunch of idiots and we're never buying yeah. Ben and Jerry's ice cream just because <laughs> we can't be bothered, do you think it actually works for them marketing-wise, though? You know, do they I sell more ice cream? I'm certain, I haven't yeah. had a tub of Ben and Jerry's <laughs> since their dodgy tweets. Yeah, right. I think <laughs> a lot of people are... Most people are quite apolitical, so they actually wouldn't know about Ben and Jerry's. They'd just be like, oh, great, I fancy some ice cream. <laughs> some ice cream. It <laughs> takes some effort to be kind of... to, to cancel the cancel, yes. the cancel yeah. culture people. Yeah. Yeah. You, go to that, you could go to that low a budget just, supermarket yeah. place, where they probably make something called... Jen and Berry, um, <laughs> and it looks exactly the same, but somehow yeah. they're allowed... I still don't know how they can do that, but they do. I love it. Aldi, of, Aldi is anti-work now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Speaking of um, food, spuds on the motorway. Apparently, motorway chaos today uh, as police were forced to clear up 22 tonnes of potatoes. I think we might so have a uh, picture British of it. Here we go. Uh, this is the This is great. I love this. Um, so it blocked all three lanes, said Sergeant Owen Jones, which is a great name, um, somewhere uh, on the hard shoulder as well. Um... There's always something like this, isn't there, over, over the Christmas period? Yeah. Maybe somewhere, some some part of England's now going right. to have a shortage of potatoes. You're right. That That's just unlocked a memory. There is always a story like yeah. this at Christmas. There is. <laughs> There's always a shed load. And I, was, I mean, I was just transfixed by, the, by the, the traffic report when they'd always say a shed load of something. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd always want to hear the other word, you know. Which is what we also use, but we don't say it here. <laughs> but it sounds like a, a shed load. I can't think what you're referring no. to. No, like, I sometimes swear on the show, but I'm not going to do it tonight. It's too near Christmas. There might be children watching. But yeah, I mean, you know, I remember when there was a load of dead chickens a couple of years ago. Oh, that's really spread sad. across the M1 or something. You know, like all. You know, potato yeah, there was a guy that, that, that lost a load of oil. Yeah. You know, like vegetable oil all over the motorway, oh which was goodness. horrendous because it yeah. took them so long to clear it up. Well, there's that, there's that great Simpsons episode where the, the truck overturns and deposits all its sugar. Right. And Homer takes the sugar away and tries to become a sugar baron. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Simpsons. Me too. I do, I do really it's like it. It's my only reference point. No, no, it's good. Well, listen, we've still got plenty to do. Don't forget, we've got some cocktails coming up a little bit later oh, yay. on. Um, Christmas cocktails, <laughs> no less. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Another chapter of the long book of Sadiq Khan and the latest Trump in Colorado news. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The World of Work.
Now, you know what they're like, those local authority dictators who think they know best, the ones who poke around outside your house to make sure you're putting all the recycling in all the right places, the ones who you see writing things down on clipboards as they stroll around your neighbourhood, noting exactly where everyone is? Those people. One of the scourges of this year has been the encroachment into your streets of local authority regulations, closing off roads and turning them into cul-de-sacs, planting boxes at the end of streets to make them pedestrian only. And now even parklets, where car spaces are removed and replaced with green spaces for people to sit down in. Yes, indeed, the onset of backwards evolution is upon us, and nothing confirms that more than the spread of low-traffic neighbourhoods, or LTNs to you and I, despite their aim, which is apparently to reduce air pollution and traffic noise in places where people live, the knock-on effects are now actually being felt, and they're not very good. Bus companies in London are so annoyed with the time it's taking their drivers to get from point A to point B because of these LTNs that they've complained in a letter to The Times. The Confederation of British Transport's Director of Policy, Alison Edwards, says they're being implemented all wrong and no-one is taking account of the suffering of people having to use the bus. It turns out that children with special educational needs are missing school, many can't face the journey, and one mother says her own son tried to harm himself after sitting in traffic for nearly an hour and only moving 500 metres. I've got some sympathy with that. Journeys that once took 11 minutes now take 45. And there's no evidence that the air is any cleaner. In other words, they don't work. Still, it's not all bad news for the Borough Burgers. Up in Manchester, they've raked in 10 million quid in just 18 months from bus lane fines in one single street. And it's the same picture in the rest of the country. The roads are more jammed than ever, and you're paying the price. Welcome to the world of woke. The world of woke. I mean, I don't know whether any of you are trying to get anywhere tomorrow, where it's supposed to be one of the busiest travel days of all, yeah. but, uh, or if you live in one of these places affected by these low-traffic neighbourhoods. But it is absolutely unbelievable what's going on now. Yeah. Buses just sit in traffic. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly bad in London, probably, because there is more traffic here than anywhere else. Yeah. But you just pass... Yeah. Bus after bus after bus, and people just sitting there going yeah. nowhere. It's terrible. Yeah. And it's not doing anything for the environment, yeah. is it? It's trying to pedestrianise a capital city. I mean, who on earth thought that was a good idea? I know. <laughs> Sadiq can't. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's one of the worst protagonists of it, but he's not alone. The thing I saw this week was down in somewhere like um, Honor Oak Park, one of those kind of South London, slightly up-and-coming, trendy neighbourhoods, where they've got people now blocking out sections of the parking area and putting in sort of benches and, and little bushes and things and drafts mm. and talk chess boards yeah. Do you so see that people can sit and talk to one another. And it's like, you know, I've got a car, I need to park it somewhere. <laughs> Have you seen on Regent Street those, like, massive pavements that have been created by... Yes. No-one uses them. No-one. Not a single... Yeah. They're empty always, and they right. have that weird bush thing in the middle. But literally no-one uses yeah. them. Yeah, well, they, I mean, every, if you try and drive around London now, which I do a lot, you have these... At, at night-time, you don't know where the pavement is. It's yeah. so huge. And they've got the little narrow kind of part where the car goes, and everything else is just, you know, concreted over. Yeah. Nightmarish. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I don't understand also why there are so many parts of town where the 20 mile an hour limit has just been imposed, yeah. you know, absolutely ubiquitously. Completely. And it's obviously, I mean, it becomes particularly annoying if it's, let's say, it's even late at night when there is no traffic yeah. on the road. Journeys still take an impossible amount of time yeah. because they're just having to mm -hmm. chug along at such a yeah. slow pace. Well, my sister, who lives in America, came back and for the first time in a while went on Westway out towards the, the airport. And she was like, when, when did they put that down to 30? You know, yeah. it used to be like 70. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's yeah. a dual carriageway. Yes, you know exactly. I mean? it's, all... it's a dual carriageway. And you're kind of just sitting there, you feel like noddy. You're kind <laughs> of going, I'm in this car doing 30 miles an hour. It's, it's like, just ridiculous. It's crazy. It's like we all have to drive at all times as if we are 
driving next to a, a primary school or a yeah. church. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's this very sort of risk-averse view of It's, it's micromanaging. Yeah. yeah. And it's even scarier, the prospect of, like, automated cars, which will you don't have to have a hand on the yeah. wheel. They'll just drive you at 10 miles yes. an hour and when you won't be, sit there. And you won't be able to speak <laughs> them up. You just have to put yeah. up with it. It's Let's have a look at what's in the papers. Um, front page of The Sun, we've got a great exclusive on this missing team, um, Alex Batty. This is a guy that was found, or I guess was not found. He kind of escaped and came to everybody's notice last week. Um, he went missing. He was he was kidnapped when he was 11, vanished. He's now 17, um, and he somehow managed to escape from this French cult, I guess you would call it, right? Mm, Seems to be some yeah. kind of weird place that he was being held in. Um, and he's now been reunited with his grandmother in Britain. So I think I well done for him yeah. for if he's being raised in a... Cult, like he was quite small when he went yeah, missing. Yeah, he was eleven. Well done for him for actually being able to see past kind of the indoctrination from what seems indoctrination from his mother, and actually being brave enough to take that journey. I think it's a remarkable story. Yeah, it is. I, I think they might they might even it's the kind of thing they might make a film about it's, in a few yeah, years' time. It's definitely I mean, at least as good as the canoe man, the missing canoe. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think he was very brave. You know, he was very resourceful. It's like something from. Famous Five or something. And yeah. He fills a rucksack with four T-shirts, three pairs of trousers, socks, pants, a skateboard, a torch, 100 euros and a Swiss army knife. And he started walking, basically. Based. And he was... Somebody tried to pick him a, a, a He just got sort of, found, he sort of hitchhiked out. Yeah, there, exactly. He? But he wasn't attempting to hitchhike, but the... The, the guy in the truck said that he saw him carrying a skateboard and right. so he sort of stopped and asked him and that was the, that was his escape And he's been there. in a couple of these places. I think the first one was in Spain and then the second one was in... Um, France, and they call them spiritual communities. I mean, is that mm, code so for cults, is it? Yeah, usually. Right. Usually. I mean, I, I can't, I'm trying to imagine what these places must be like. I mean, he talks about how he loves his mum, but she's not. A, she's a great person, but she's not a great mum. Mm. I used to argue with her, and I thought, I'm just going to leave. They're usually anti-society, anti-government, um, think that... Oh, are these the kind of end-of-the-world types? Yeah, end-of-the-world types. Um, so it probably, it probably, and usually the stories of children that are raised in these things, it seems like, oh, love thy neighbour, but it actually, it's quite traumatising because it's, yeah. if, you, if you're a non-believer, then you're against everyone. It, it, yeah. it can be quite a difficult place place for people to grow up in. You're seeking so. to escape the tyranny of society. You should probably yeah. find somewhere where, <laughs> which isn't so tyrannical. I think the decision to live off-grid should be made personally, as I'm as I'm still figuring out myself. Yes. <laughs> well, it's all very well to live off-grid, but, you know, yeah. you have to live off-grid properly. Exactly. You can't just go, I'm going to live off-grid a bit, and then I'm going to go to the local supermarket and buy my food. <laughs> I'll you, have to, you have to grow your own stuff. You have to make your own cider. You know, you can't just yeah. go and buy, go down to the shops you need, you need, you and, and drive a, a car in front of a horse and cart or something, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You know. like, an, like the Amish. A lot of these weirdos in America as well. But um, yeah. I, I love, I just love the Amish though. I think they do it. The well, Amish are a bit different, yeah. 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 They scare me so much because I actually know people who are low-key like that. Really? There's, a, there's an <laughs> well, Amish community in Sussex, you know, which, which I didn't know about. I didn't know years. about either. But, I just uh, think they have, they can do a lot of cool things. Like, I wouldn't know how to raise a barn. That's a great skill to have. It is. Yeah. It is I, indeed. Have you Absolutely. seen like the homestead core? Yes. No, no, well, I listen, haven't. hold that thought. We're going to come back to you with some more stories in a moment. But right now, um, we're going to be going across to the US of A because it seems the knives are out again for Donald Trump. Uh, not that they were ever in. Uh, Colorado's removed him from the ballot. His fellow Republican running mate, Vivek Ramaswamy, has said he will now withdraw from the Colorado ballot and he's encouraged everybody else to do so as well. This is what he had to say. They have just tried to bar President Trump from the Colorado ballot using an unconstitutional maneuver. That's why I'm making a pledge today. 
that I will withdraw, I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until Tr Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing, or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. I refuse to be complicit in that. I think what they're doing is wrong. And I think it's up to Republicans to step up and stand up with a spine for our country's future. Very well said. And also, of course, there are some other states now which are saying, well, maybe we'll do what Colorado did. Um, but I think they'd be barking up the wrong tree. Let's talk now to the former advisor to President Trump, Sebastian Gorka. Welcome, Seb. Uh, welcome to the Independent hey. Republic of Mike Graham. I've been following your tweets on this with great interest. Um, it's an absolute travesty and a joke, isn't it? It's worse than that. This is when you say it's not Trump, Trump derangement syndrome. That's funny, but this is a banana republic. The great Newt Gingrich, one of the lions of American politics, former Speaker of the House, he, he did the math. You know, Colorado is not a very big state, but uh, almost two million Americans in Colorado voted for President Trump, which means these four judges that didn't hear a case, President Trump hasn't been charged with insurrection, let alone convicted. Four judges by themselves said, yeah, yeah, he's uh, an insurrectionist. You're not going to be allowed to vote for him, which means one judge per 400,000 Americans in that state disenfranchised them. It's one thing to disagree with a politician, but to say the American people aren't allowed to choose him. And you know what the level of lunacy is? Afterwards, the state officials said, you're not even permitted to manually write President Trump's name on the ballot's blank spaces. This is the level of disrespect for our Constitution and the will of the American people. It seems incredible, doesn't it? And I see that Joe Biden has been tweeting today... Um that uh, Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. Well, he's a threat to many things. He might be a threat to Joe Biden winning the next election, but he's hardly a threat to democracy by running in an election, is he? Well, he's a threat to the power of the, uh, the quote-unquote elite that hate the American people. So we've been told for three years now that President Trump is a wannabe dictator. They're talking about him in the same sentence along with Hitler, with Mussolini. And the fact is we were in power in the White House. President Trump has been president already. We didn't have a political police force. We didn't do things like this, Mike. Let me let me just give you a short list. We didn't raid the home of the prior president, Obama, with armed agents of the FBI, as they did to President Trump. Uh, we didn't arrest former assistants to Obama at Reagan National Airport, put them in leg chains, and then strip search them on a contempt of Congress charge. Biden did. So if there is a threat to quote-unquote democracy, even though we are a republic, the threat to democracy is extant. It is now. It is the Biden regime. We just found out in Congress that the so-called FISA, the secret court that is used to provide warrants to spy on terrorists. The FISA court system was used more than 200,000 times illegally against U.S. citizens. Not under our administration, Mike. It was done under Joe Biden's regime. So if there's a threat to the democracy, Joe should look in the mirror.
And how many other states are, are actively looking, uh, Sebastian, at doing the same thing as Colorado? And if so... Multiple ones. Mul what, I, I played the... Well, look, uh, this, this is so um, egregious and the ballots for the primaries have to be printed very soon that, you know, God willing, when the U.S. Supreme Court is back in session, first week of January, they have to call this case and they have to say, excuse me, you know, judges in Colorado can't ride roughshod over the rights of the American people. And look, let's be clear here. You, you can take uh, Donald Trump out of the equation if you want, if you don't like him, and I don't have to mention his name. But right now, he is the de facto leader of the opposition. In the latest poll yesterday, this is a Harris-Harvard poll, he is 57 points ahead his nearest challenger, Nikki Haley, and he's 60 points ahead of the governor of Florida. That means... He is the de facto leader of the opposition. This, this is about the fabric of our republic and being allowed to vote for somebody who isn't the incumbent, which is fine in Venezuela or North Korea, <laughs> but it's not fine here, Mike. It really isn't. And, I mean, presumably Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have yet to uh, commit themselves to drop out uh, as Vivek uh, has done so. Yeah, God bless Vivek. He's been on my show many times. I like the guy. He's smart. I'd like to see him in a second Trump administration in the cabinet or working, you know, what he understands, which is, you know, innovation, industry. He could be, you know, the, the Jared Kushner of a second Trump term. But, but no, uh, DeSantis, incredibly, at a campaign event yesterday, he said, well, um, I don't know about this thing in Colorado. It's it's not good, but but I, I I'm doing really great in the polls. He made it about himself. <laughs> I mean, if ever there's a moment to say this is wrong, and I'm not going to talk about myself for yeah. 60 seconds. Yesterday was the time not to talk about yourself, Ron. But he just couldn't resist, and that's why he's cratering. This week, his campaign manager from his super PAC, which is ironically entitled. Never back down, Mike. His campaign manager resigned because even Jeff Rowe can see the writing on the wall for Ron. Yeah, absolutely incredible stuff. Well, Sebastian, um, I look forward to seeing how this all plans out, but I can't believe they're going to get to stop Donald Trump because with every move that they make, he just gets bigger and bigger in the ratings, doesn't he? It's, it's like, you know, I think we're of the same vintage, a very excellent vintage. It's like the original and best Star Wars. And I don't mean A New Hope, just Star Wars. <laughs> when, um, you know, before the final battle, uh, we have Ben Kenobi fencing with Darth Vader. And he says to his former student, if you try and strike me down now, I will be more powerful than you ever imagined. <laughs> well, that's what they're doing to my former boss. You know how many indictments? He's facing 730 years in prison on garbage trumped-up charges, and he's beating Biden in the polls 11 months before the election and any rival who's challenging him on the right. So, you know, if they keep doing this to him, if there are a few more indictments, I think he'll be at maybe 110% in the polls. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. Great to talk to you, Sebastian. Have a good weekend. Have a very Merry Christmas. Merry to you Christmas. As well. See you later. Merry Sebastian Christmas. Sebastian Gorka, uh, the good doctor there from the first Trump administration. Uh,
That's why uh, we get him on, because only he can somehow segue into Star Wars from, uh, from Donald like Trump. Yeah, he mangled the quote. I can see that you were all grimacing. <laughs> More powerful yeah. than you can possibly imagine. Yes, yes. His voice, just incredible. Yeah, the voice should be an right. actor, yeah. The voice was all right. Um, now, we've been, we've been making fun of uh, my colleague Kevin O'Sullivan. You guys have probably been on his show a few times. He's famous at Talk TV for mangling everything. Um, and now it's time for another one of those lovely moments from him. Uh, this is him showing what a popular man he is. Welcome back. I'm still uh, with Campaigns Director and uh, Defund the BBC. She is the boss of as well, uh, Rebecca Ryan. Uh, Rebecca, uh, as this phone goes off, which I can't find... Um, that's gone. <laughs> Where is it? Ah, we'll get there. <laughs> now, this is a phone. I'm going to turn the volume down. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, here we go. Um, now, uh, just before... Now, I mean, he's employed as a professional. There's hope for everybody, isn't there? I mean... <laughs> And that's a terrible ring he's got on his phone as well, well isn't I think it? If you spend a lot of time, it's not my favourite one, but it's not the worst. It's I think not. if you spend that much time on TV, chances are at some point there will oh, be. Oh, listen, we've all we've all done happen. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's always there's always there's, there's plenty of stuff to find, but you know, I was trying to find it on everybody, but we've only found it on, on Kevin, <laughs> I'm afraid. Unfortunately, um, we should talk, I suppose, about the terrible events of um, what happened in Prague today. Um, front page of the Metro, and also inside the Sun as well. Um, also from the rooftops, uh, page 11. Um, it looks as though a student has just kind of run amok, appears to have shot his own father, and then just basically... I mean, I've been looking at some of the tweets about it and people inside the university kind of just barricading themselves inside because he was very American-style kind of shoot-up. It's just awful. It's awful, isn't it? Absolutely I think, terrible. Well, the only thing I will say is, because obviously it's just evolving now, is well done to... I know they have guns in... Prague, but well done for the students for thinking on their feet because actually Americans practice barricading every day. Yeah. That actually I like to think in an emergency. I'd think, what do I actually need mm. to do? But chances are I'd probably just panic. Um, so well done that they, that a lot of them actually managed to keep themselves yeah. safe. And that picture is gonna is burned into my brain Me too. of them Me too. hanging onto the side of a yeah. building. Um, so it's and also look at, looking crazy. at what he's got, he's, he's obviously got a very high-powered rifle with a, with a telescopic sight on it. And he's, oh, he's basically so just leaning over uh, a wall, just firing indiscriminately at people. Yeah, he thinks he's yeah, it's like like he's in a video game or something. Yeah, is that, no, it's absolutely terrifying, and it's the kind of thing where even if even if you survived. I don't think you you would ever get over no. that terrifying experience. No. You know that that such a, a brush with death. Absolutely, and there's a few British um, tourists I think have been caught up in it as well. Who happens yeah. because Prague's quite a popular yeah. destination for people to go. You know, they've got Christmas markets. Course, it's the yeah. time of year that you go there. Yeah. yeah, it's good for kind of you know stag do's and hen do's and things like that. It's, it's really just, just the terrible. most wonderful, wonderful city, wonderful people, wonderful country. It's just it's the last place that you would imagine something like this happening. Yes. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's really shocking. And then a follow-up story on page ten from what we did last night on uh, the Prince Andrew scenario. Because we didn't mention him uh, in the sort of uh, the revelations of the year, um, Prince Andrew, of course, supposedly amongst those who are going to be named in January uh, as associated with Jeffrey Epstein, he's going to be accused of doing all sorts of things. But um, Prince Andrew's accuser says there'll be lots of nervous people over Christmas. Um, something I do want to say on this, um, this naughty list, is um, of course names of associates are always flying around on Twitter anyway. Yeah. Um, his flight log lists right. and things. I think we need to be... People do need to be very careful when this list comes out because 
he was connected to everyone. He was connected to presidents because he was a very wealthy man yeah. with mm. friends. And I think an associate is not paedophile makes, you know? And yeah. I think people need to be very yes. careful with... He's, did, he's a horrible man who probably likely had friends who knew about it, yeah. likely, because he was hiding in plain sight. But I think people, especially on Twitter, who have their real name and their profile picture, they need to be very careful yeah. about what they're saying. I think the about trouble with, with people like, like Epstein is that he's very good at manipulating others, mm -hmm. and politicians in particular love a rich guy. Yeah. You know, they love mm -hmm. somebody who's got a private jet. They love somebody that they can, like, hop a ride with to this lovely Florida hotel or lovely home in the, in the Caribbean. And and people like Andrew, who was always, you know, up for sort of anybody who would yeah. fly him anywhere for going to golf. Andy, yeah. Yeah, Miles Andy, yeah. regardless of what was going to happen at the destination. People just like hanging around with rich people. Yeah. And that's the problem here, and I think that's mm. what's been revealed. And he thought yeah. it, would, he, it would keep him safe forever. Yeah. Um, it didn't, thank God. Um, but, yeah, I think it's... I'm sure people are very nervous because of, like we say, cancel culture. And, yeah. I mean, if he was my friend, I'd be very nervous too and quite ashamed as well that I hadn't seen it or if I had seen a hint, not spoken up sooner. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think that actually she shouldn't be gleeful about this maybe because yeah. it, it's not a good look because these, yeah. these probably innocent people... Yes, that's yeah. probably a very and good actually, point. You know, in the end, she wasn't called to give evidence no. because she wasn't considered to be there the is most that. compelling yeah. of the witnesses. There is that as well. It's a, it's a, it's a weird story. Um, before we uh, go any further, I should just say that Plank of the Week uh, for Christmas is on tomorrow at 7pm. Here's a little clip from it because here's a woman uh, who you can't forget about in 2023. But, but Peter, yeah, she's not lying to the media, she's just lying. You are lying. Is she mainly a plank for doing the interview, though? So not, not just for putting herself no, in a position she's where a plank she abused... No, She allegedly abused her position and she lied and she's admitted lying. But fancy doing the interview. Yeah. You know, I, I tweeted, not that I know her, to be honest. Right. Don't do this. This is yeah. Prince Andrew-esque. <laughs> it is. Right? It was actually oh, worse than so that. I, mean, I, mean, I expected yeah. her to sit there in front of Laura Kunzberg and say, oh, and by the way, I don't sweat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's Michelle Moan, of course, who will be nominated as Plank of the Week and may well win it, I think, mm -hmm. as well. Um, guys, thank you very much indeed. I think Alice is going to leave us, but the rest of you are going to hang around um, because we're going to have a couple of Christmas cocktails. So don't leave us all together. Um, you just have to go and make way for somebody else, I think. <laughs> I think that's the way it is. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. After the break, the Thursday Club is back because uh, it's still Thursday with some festive tipples. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham on Talk TV. They're already laughing at me um, because, as you can see, I'm now wearing a red antlers. Um, well, it is Christmas, after all. Rounding off the show tonight, we're bringing you a bit of festive cheer with Helena Nicklin. Helena, um, the, the queen of, of the drinks business, I have to say. Um, you and I have been doing this for quite a long time. Yeah. We used to do it every Thursday. We haven't seen each other for a while. Mm. She does, you know, weddings, bar mitzvahs. <laughs> series of uh, televisions on on Amazon, Amazon Prime. You got your third series out now. That's right. Yeah, the Thanks. cognac one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, the Three Drinkers. <laughs> yeah. Podcast. I mean, she's an amazing woman. She's brought some festive fun for us all to uh, slake our thirst with, and it's good because I've got a bit of a dodgy throat, so I need to slake oh. it quite a bit. <laughs> So what have you brought for yes. us? Yes, well, I've brought you three very festive tipples yes. today. Okay. Um, we have an English sparkling, which is a bit different. Yes. Because it's 
It's called Silver Rain. Silver Rain. It's right. made like Prosecco, but with champagne grapes. OK. So it's a completely new kind of style. Is it a Sussex or is it somewhere it's else? It's Kent. Kent, OK. Yes, Silver Hand Very Estate nice. and Silver Rain is their kind mm. of entry level. Very um, nice. Just a nice kind of Prosecco-Champagne hybrid. OK. From England. Yes. Uh, then we have a gin fizz, mm. a cranberry gin fizz. Very simple Christmas cocktail. Oh, nice. Cocktail. Well, that's good, lovely. isn't it? Very nice. Yeah. That is, this is lovely. You like? It's mm. lovely. Are you a Prosecco person normally or a champagne person? I am person? an all, all drinks person, <laughs> normally. Okay. What's the verdict, Megan? Like I it? really, really like that. Yeah. It's yeah. nice because a lot of the English fizz is, is very kind of um, what I would call unassuming. It's not heavy. No. It's not too buttery. It's not too, you know, mm. rich. It's just quite light, which yeah. is what I like. I like the fact that this so isn't... You can tell isn't... I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> it's just mm. such yeah. a great yeah. taste. <laughs> it's a really good sort of midway point and also yes, price point as I well. It's yeah. like £17. Yeah. As yeah. Really? To That's really good. Because it's made like Prosecco instead mm. of like champagne, so it hasn't had to sit on... Mm. on that is lovely. On its I leaf must say, that, that is lovely. Yeah. Really nice. Very Moorish. Mm. It is, isn't right. it? No. And we've got some gin here, which is Seville Orange Gin. Gin has become such an impressively explosive thing now, hasn't it? Yeah, this absolutely. is from Oldbury in England, Seville Orange Gin. So this is part of the M&S distilled range, which okay. is really good kind of basics. And it's a, I, I really like the idea of having a bit of orange peel with the gin. Half, half gin, half cranberry, and then topped up with um, sparkling wine. So I've topped it yes. up with a silver rain. And oh. there you go, really simple, <laughs> simple cocktail. Two drinks in one. Just cut it straight <laughs> to the chase. I would have done it universally. You look very good with a cocktail glass in your hand, I must <laughs> thank say. Thank you. Well, it's cheers. Like cheers. Yeah. Merry it's... Christmas, everybody, by the way. Merry Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Lovely to see you. Mm. What do you think of this one? Oh, that's very good. strong. I like that tastes it, yeah. strong, doesn't it? Be on the floor with, after a yeah. couple of these. It's yeah, very I nice. might have to put some, nice. more, um, some more of the fizz in it. <laughs> strong <laughs> balance. Down. No, it's really So nice. is the gin actually mm. orange flavoured then? Yes, it's Seville orange gin. I can't quite M&S. taste that, but would you put an orange, a slice of orange in it then? You could do, but just because it's Christmas, I thought I'd put some the red. The raspberries, butter. yes. Yeah, raspberries, because I couldn't find cranberries. Mm. <laughs> but actually, I think the raspberries are a nice touch. But that is a, that is a, like it's them. a good taste, though, isn't it? And it's so easy to make. Mm. Sort of Christmas Day, kind of brunchy time. Yeah. And a drink like that, would lovely. you shake that or would you stir it or just um, mix I, it I just stirred, put the gin and the cranberry juice over ice, give that a stir, mm. and then just top up. Yeah. I'm gonna, so easy. Do you know what it's I'm going to do? I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Maybe I'll do um, the same. Because then it will just be white. See, that looks more like a champagne cocktail now, doesn't well, it? Well, yeah, yeah. Feel free to do the same. This is starting to feel like university. Oh, that's good. Like, now, one of the things, it all in. One of the things I did promise. I remember the university. I know, it's like... Actually, that, that doesn't taste quite so um, brutal. Oh, it's I mean, lovely. it's not brutal, but, you know, it's a little... Ahead, I haven't had a drink today yet, unusually oh. for me. Well, the first one always tastes a little stronger. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Um, now, one of the things we wanted to do in this last bit oh, as well, delicious. and we haven't got a great deal of time, is your best moment or worst moment of, or of 2023, if you have one. Okay. You can you can make it this if you like. I mean, it could be this could be the best moment of twenty twenty three. Meeting Helen Nicklin and drinking wonderful company. Yes. wonderful show. However, this was not my top moment of time. Damn, not my personal. Now, I think for me, the top moment all told was the coronation. Extraordinary yes. event. Of course. Um, I'd completely by... forgotten about that. Exactly. There's been so many. Isn't that mad? There's been so many mad. Crazy things yeah. have happened. We forgot that truly great and awe-inspiring things I completely forgot about the coronation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How could I have forgotten about that? I, I was saying earlier, I can't think of anything that made 2023 particularly special. Really? And I forgot oh. the coronation. That's bonkers. It was wonderful. Actually, I think it showed that we, for example, the BBC we have still lots do of criticism that. of the BBC, but I thought their coverage yes. was, was superb. And it showed, yes, you say, we're still, we, we're still very good at that kind of ceremonial. Yeah. Other countries perhaps have lost that, but we haven't. Yes, I thought that was brilliant. Mm. 
Megan, have you got one? Um, embarrassingly, I rather I use this as rather like a confessional. My best moment was actually David Cameron coming back. Um, I'm in a shame. Oh my god! Yeah, I regretted it. I regretted choosing it as soon as I submitted it to yes. your producer. Yes. Immediately, I thought, why do you want to say that on right. TV? Well, that certainly um, tops her um, earlier sort of admiration yes. of Rishi Sunak. So it's in, got you off the hook. <laughs> in the media, broadcast and print, I've been very, very critical of David Cameron professionally. But I can't lie, 15-year-old Megan was very, very excited, never thought he'd be back. Wow. So well, well, he's the reason I, I got I into politics. He, yeah. David Cameron, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Amazing. You don't have to answer this, Helen, but, but you've had a pretty decent year, I suppose, 2023, haven't you? Oh, yeah. It's you were been, in the sun the other day, I saw. Did you? Yeah, I, I had double whammy. Double. In the mail. <laughs> yeah. Six pages. Are they fighting over you now? <laughs> See, I like to say that I discovered Helen, though. It's not absolutely true. <laughs> but, but you're now a sort of beer moth of the drinks industry, aren't you? A beer moth. A beer, a beer moth. moth. <laughs> I can see industry. why. These are very good. Yeah. Well, Thanks very much. She's brilliant. Also, really her Instagram delicious. is worth following because mm -hmm. she does amazing. You do, you do incredible things on Instagram where she'll like shake something up and then it switches to something else. And I'm baffled by how you could even do that. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm giving impressive. away some lovely stuff as well. I've got the last one tonight. Oh, what are you giving There's away? still time. Oh, is this it's a, a stay at a luxury wine hotel on the on the Isle of Wight called the Terrace Wine Rooms. Oh, nice. In Ventnor. Ooh. Yeah, wine and rooms. That's a really nice place. That is a nice oh, part of the world, this, is, this drink is really great. I love this. I tell you what, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to, to um, ruin your, your recipe, ah. but basically I like it better with more Prosecco. That's fine. It's yeah. a movable feast, so to speak. It's basically just like having Prosecco with gin, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. it's got to be a winner. Yeah. It's balanced, though, <laughs> I think. Mm. Yeah, so this so, is And now, the final... This is proper guilty pleasure. Oh, this is Irish cream gingerbread latte. Yes. So if you like Bailey's, yeah. it's a gingerbread version of that. And it's amazing. Wow. <laughs> From Tesco, £13, but really, yeah. You she once like brought it me, she once brought me hot oh cross God, bun flavoured uh, cream liqueur. Do you remember that? Yeah. Hot cross bun flavour for Easter. Was it nice? nice? I, I love this. Isn't it good? Damn. It's got that real gingery kick it's to it so as well. Good. Mm. It's really it's nice. So good. Also, because it's like Bailey's, you, you once you've opened it, you have to drink it all in one sitting. Yeah, that's the law. That's the law. Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter how many of you there are, if you, even if you're on your own, you just mm. have to finish it. Yeah, 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 it goes off, doesn't it? It does go off. Mm. Yeah. In a this month. Is, this you is know, lovely. Do you know what is absolutely <laughs> delicious? A couple of Christmases ago, my brother and I were kind of, we sort of got through quite a lot of the, the main bottles that were yeah. there. So we, we sort of took a look at what was still in the cabinet and we went for Di Serrano and then to make it Ooh. better we added a load of lemon to it. Oh yeah. A load of lemon juice and ice and it was absolutely sensational. Oh, wow. And yes. this was That's one of these this was one it's of very those, sticky otherwise. It is. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very for me but the the lemon really cut through that, that sickliness. Mm. It made it into a legitimately really good drink and it was one of those kind of necessity as the mother of invention ones. Wow. So, I mean, obviously, other people have done this before. We really felt like we had invented that drink. <laughs> Maybe you had. You're obviously a natural mixologist. This is that's very good. And is there a new sort of Christmassy drink that's going around this year that, that there people is are doing? You know how we, we get sort of, you know, Prosecco and we, you know, the um, Aperol Spritz sprays mm. and all that? What have we got now? There's a snowball margarita. Oh. Oh, wow. Well, that sounds good. Which doesn't sound like it should work because it's essentially a Tommy's margarita. So, you know, posh dipping tequila. Right. Triple sec, but with coconut cream. Yes. But it works. Yes. Weirdly, it works. Well, do you know, I'm thinking on New Year's Eve of drinking some mezcal, which you <laughs> and I have done a bit in the past. Uh, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Get some coconut Try cream. Mm -hmm. um, a bit of mezcal. Be a nice and earthy bit version. Bit of triple of sec. <laughs> that'll, that'll, ruin, uh, that'll ruin everything. Sounds good. <laughs> well, listen, anyway, it's been great. It's been a great pleasure to have all of you here. Um, Helena, Megan, Madeline.
Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, and we'll be back uh, tomorrow night. Well, I'll be back tomorrow night with Plank of the Week. And, of course, Plank of the Year is coming up. A final gem uh, from the very good and very professional Kevin O'Sullivan, my very good friend. He won't mind. This was when he was filling in for me once. Hello, you're watching The Independent of Republic of Mike Graham uh, with me, Kevin O'Sullivan, on Talk TV, on TV, on radio, online and on your smart speaker. He's not sure who he is. You know, <laughs> crisis of confidence. But anyway, listen, um, it's been great. Um, when we come back in the new year, it's going to be very exciting because we might look a bit different. I don't just mean because I'll have eaten loads of food and I'll be about three stone heavier. <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean there's a different studio. So that's all from me. You've been watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Thanks to everybody for watching. Thanks to all of you for being here. Christmas Plank of the Week coming up tomorrow at 7, of course. Um, and I'm going to take these off. I'm not getting in the car with them uh, because, obviously, I'd scrape them. Uh, so maybe I'll just take them off now. If I take them off now, how's that? So, well, it's only on Talk TV. Let's go. Good night. Happy Christmas.